His name is excellent. And there is salvation in no other name. There is no name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. There is no other name that's higher. There's no other name that's greater. There's no name that's more powerful. There's no name more majestic. There's no name more splendid. There's no name more spectacular. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is King of kings and Lord of lords for all eternity, both now and forevermore. I don't know about you, but at the name of Jesus, demons tremble. At the name of Jesus, strongholds are cast down. At the name of Jesus, strongholds are broken. At the name of Jesus, not your name, not my name, not the president's name, but at the name of Jesus, there is victory, there is power, there is majesty. There's only one name. And not only do we declare the praises of his name right now, but, 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 but my Bible tells me that we get to declare his praises forevermore. And the song says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. So you might as well get used to praising the name of Jesus right now because we're going to be praising his name in glory forever and ever and evermore. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of our Savior and King, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. For it, all, it is always a, a privilege and an honor to be with you once again in worship. And as we say all the time, it's good to see you because we can never take for granted the fact that we have the opportunity to show up in the house of worship one more time. So we thank the Lord for life, health, and strength for bringing us here with a, a measure of health in our right minds. But a, a welcome to all of our members and guests to this church gathered at Forest Baptist as we will look into God's word today for we are a people who believe the book, who live under the book. God, his word is our authority. And we will seek to do his will according to his word. Not according to our desires, but according to his way. Amen? Amen. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the fifth chapter, or in your devices to Matthew, the fifth chapter. And it's in this chapter that Jesus has been laying out for us this understanding of raising God's standard in the world for kingdom living, he's raising God's standard back up in the eyes of his disciples because they live in a culture where, where God's standard had been diminished. Uh, God's standard had been demoted. God's standard had been lowered in order for the, the religious folk to be able to keep up with God's standard. I, I don't know about you, it sounds just a little bit familiar where where people begin to lower God's standard in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But, but this is where we are in the text. But Jesus has been reminding us that any time that we lower God's standard, sin is not far behind. To lower God's standard is to lead us into lawlessness. And, and, and the, the text of Scripture reminds us, and, and sin is lawlessness. But this morning, Jesus, he raises our standards of kingdom living on a particularly sensitive subject. He raises our 
standards and our expectations on the subject of divorce this morning. And we may feel a bit uncomfortable this morning, but understand, divorce is uncomfortable. But may God give us grace this morning. May God give us the power to believe him over everyone else, even ourselves. May God give us the power to obey his direction regarding divorce and remarriage. And may we understand that all of this power comes because it is God who has the power to forgive because of the power of the cross. May we seek God's grace. So if you would, on your device or on your tablets, in your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew, the fifth chapter. We'll be looking at verses 31 and 32 for your hearing. If you will, please stand with me in honor of reading of God's word. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever and everyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag upon this morning's text for consideration. God's divine direction on divorce. God's divine direction on divorce. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to be with us as we spend time in his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we do humbly come before your mighty throne of grace, acknowledging your preeminence, acknowledging your sovereignty, acknowledging your rule and your authority. And Father, as we come before you this morning, dear God, we need you. We need you right now to soften our hearts, our hard hearts, to open up our blind eyes, to give hearing to our deaf ears. And Father, we need you to come and to begin to heal wounds of our hearts as we're dealing with this hard subject. But Father, thank you for your amazing grace because though you give us a hard word, you give us abundant grace. For you have already declared your grace is sufficient for us. So Father, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit and that you would be with us and that we would worship and we would exalt you and we would lift you up and, and that you would actually be the center of our attention and not ourselves. And that we would look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Father, may we indeed obey your commands to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbors as ourselves. So, Father, for the one who is struggling, for the one who has been harmed or hurt by the divorce, Father, we ask that your grace would be enough. Father, I ask that you would give us soft words, true words, and soft hearts that we would receive your word and that we would leave this place with joy and thanksgiving because of the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. And Father, for the role you want us to play in this sin-sick world, a role of being light in darkness, a role of being salt in a place that is unsavory. Father, thank you for the incredible and tremendous privilege you have given me to shepherd your people through this text. May I not take this lightly. May you take my foolish words and make much of them for Christ Jesus. For your glory, for your name's sake, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen. You know, there are times in our life where our actions have unintended consequences. One such 
story of these unintended consequences actually comes from somewhere we wouldn't even expect or realize or think of. It comes from Smokey the Bear. You know Smokey the Bear? Have you ever seen on TV? I haven't seen the commercials lately, but, but, but Smokey would come on the, the television and he would be as sincere as possible and he would point and say, only you can prevent forest fires. He had a little tear trickling down his eye. And that campaign was started by the U.S. Forest Service, but, but one thing about that campaign, it was so effective. It worked so well that many places in, uh, in, in, in our national parks, in, in the rural areas, that, uh, that, that no fires were taking place. But one of the unintended consequences was that God, in his natural way of doing things, in a forested area, in an area that is full of trees, there comes a lot of undergrowth. And what will happen was, for various reasons, a, a fire would come, a small fire would come, and it would begin to burn up that undergrowth that would grow up and, and to keep the forest uh, floor pretty clear, pretty smooth. But because this campaign was so effective, no fires were taking place, and the underbrush began to grow and to grow and to grow, and it would dry out. So it actually became the prime material, the prime fuel for these forest fires that we see now. So the very thing that was created to keep us from having forest fires, in a sense, actually contributed to greater and larger forest fires. See, uh, a lot of times, in our zeal to try to make things right, we make a decision, and it has unintended consequences. An unintended consequence really is a result of us and our humanity not being able to see past the present. In the present, there's a situation or circumstance that we just want to fix. We want to get, it, get rid of it. We want to get over it. We want to get by it. So in the situation, we make a decision not thinking about the potential impact, the potential circumstances that might come out of it. So a lot of times in our own lives, how many times have you been impacted by unintended consequences? And unfortunately, there are times where we find ourselves on the job, in our homes, in life, and we feel the temptation to make a decision based upon the present moment alone with unintended consequences. Unfortunately, this case is true and often plays itself out in marriage as well. There's times in marriage where it's heavy, it's hard, it's difficult, and, and, and you don't want to keep going, and you don't want to uh, keep putting in the extra work and effort that is needed to make a marriage grow. And in those hard moments, you're, you've been uh, upset, you've become bitter, you get angry, and you make a decision in the heat of the moment that has unintended consequences. In that moment, you are emotionally broken, you're physically broken, and you're spiritually broken, leading to emotional consequences, physical consequences, and spiritual consequences. But beloved, whenever the covenant bond of marriage is broken, for whatever reason, there are consequences. And in our text this morning, Jesus, he, he graciously and specifically addresses this sensitive subject of divorce and remarriage. Again, divorce and remarriage is very sensitive, and, and the reason why it is is because divorce, it, it is deeply impactful, and there are so many wounds, and it brings such a deep hurt. And those wounds can still be fresh even years down the line. But, beloved, another reason why this is so sensitive is because of divorce's long reach. I would dare say just about everyone in here this morning has been touched by divorce's long reach in some way. 
whether it's yourself, whether it's a family member, whether it's a brother, sister, cousin, aunt, there's someone in, in your life, there's someone in my life who has been touched by the long arm and the long reach of divorce. But, beloved, with something being so painful and so pervasive, shouldn't we seek an expert opinion on what to do about it? According to most statistics, well over 40% of marriages end in divorce. Almost half of all marriages end in divorce. And, and when you think about those numbers, it's probably only that, uh, that low because solid Christians, you stay married a lot of times. But sometimes we don't. And understand this morning is not an indictment on anyone or a, a moment to poke out our chest in some type of competition of personal piety, like we have it all together. Divorcees are not second-class Christians. Understand this. But yet God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen, chosen that we come to this portion of text today. See, beloved, that's one thing when you preach the Bible. When you go from front to back, you got to preach everything in between. And as we're going through the, the book of Matthew, this is not a hobby horse. This is not something which we're trying to affront somebody off with. This is the next passage of Scripture we need to deal with. And when you are dealing with Scripture, you don't skip and, and, and choose and pick just the portions that you like. Because we don't have that type of Christianity where I just obey Jesus and the stuff I like, but everything else I just want to keep to myself. I keep living that way. That's not how Christianity works. It's not a buffet. But we are privileged to receive this whole meal. So God in his infinite wisdom has chosen that we come to this text today because as the people of God, as Christians, we need to know. We need to know how should we rightly think about divorce and remarriage. But not only that, we need to know how we are to act rightly in regards to divorce and marriage. See, this text lets us know that this is not a new conversation. One could actually argue that divorce and remarriage was even more pervasive in Jesus' day. So there, there wasn't this, this great heyday in America uh, uh, where I remember when times when, when we look at Jesus' day, divorce is pervasive and rampant. In ancient Near Eastern times, it, divorce was so rampant because divorce was really purely the prerogative of the husband. The wife had no say. We'll go a little bit into that deeper. But also, in ancient Near Eastern times, divorce was just another part of life. It was normal. But just as Jesus did then, Jesus does now. And he gives us a gracious word on the divine direction of divorce. Jesus, he's, he's ultimately saying, your direction on divorce should be determined by your devotion to God. Your choice, your direction, your thoughts, how, how you process all of this should be determined by your devotion to God. It shouldn't just be what they say. It shouldn't just be what your homeboys say or what your homegirls say, what, what, what mama them say. It's all about what God has said as he leads us along the way. This is a devotion-driven direction. So there's two things in the text quickly I just I want to point out for us this morning. The first is the distortion of divorce. The distortion of divorce. Look here in verse 31. Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. See, Jesus, he, he comes again to this text, and he's using that paradox. He's using that contrast. It was said, uh, you have heard, but I say... He, Jesus is setting himself against the wisdom of the day. He said, y'all heard folks talking like this, but let me, let me put you on game for real. This is how it really should go. And Jesus is hearkening back to the Old Testament scripture. And what he is quoting is what the people had as common knowledge, 
but they had got so far from the text that they really didn't understand what it really said. You know how we like to say things. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Like that's not really, you know, God helps those who help themselves. You, you know, it's, it's like, it's a biblical concept per se, but we begin to say things like that, like it's really in the Bible and we believe it and trust it. What Jesus is saying, now, now it was said again, y'all, y'all heard it this way, but, but let me help y'all understand what Scripture really says. And Jesus points them back to Deuteronomy 24. He points to them what had been distorted by man. Turn with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24. And let's read it for ourselves. What does God say here to Moses in regards to Israel and the, this, this law concerning divorce? Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And it says, when, now listen good. L- listen to the if, thens, whens. L- listen good. See what it says and what it doesn't say. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who has sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So Jesus, he points back to their, their, their discussion about this certificate of divorce. And, and what's really interesting is everything is an if, but when it comes to the then, what this text is really talking about is that if you get the bright idea that you're going to divorce your wife, make sure you know that this is a forever decision and you can't get back what you lost. You know, sometimes you, you, you have, you have that, that lady friend, and, and y'all been dating on again, off again, and uh, she, she doesn't wear the right thing, or she doesn't smell the right way. She doesn't have the right perfume, so you decide you're going to break up. And then you, you, you realize you lost a good thing. And, and you be, begin to be at home, and you, 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 you saying, woe is me, and you, and you moping, and you lonely, and all of a sudden you decide to call her back up. Say, so, you know, I was just thinking about you. You know, you've been on my mind. You know, my, uh, are, your, are your feet tired because you've been running through my mind all day? You know, you're, you're, laying, you're laying game on that because you want that relationship back. God is trying to, trying, to, trying to wake these men up, say, if you do this, this is a big decision that has consequences. You just can't go out and get her back like like nothing happened. God is is putting in place these protections for Israel. What what God is actually doing here, he is providing this concession of protection in the life of Israel. How do we know this? We know it for a few reasons, but we know it based upon Specifically, Matthew, the 19th chapter, verses 7 and 8, when Jesus, he takes a deeper dive into this, and he says the the whole reason why why you was even given a certificate of divorce was because of the hardness of your hearts. Because you were hard-hearted. You were unforgiving. You were quick to anger, quick to speak. You were quick to do things your way. You was quick to make yourself the center of the situation because of your hard heart. And because of your hard heart, you were sending these women and these children out to fend for themselves. And because these women and children were out to fend for themselves, I am the God of justice, and I'm going to take care 
of the, uh, of the widow and the orphan. I'm going to take care of the least of these. I'm going to take care of the ones on the margins. So God puts into place with this certificate of divorce actually a sense of protection for the woman. The certificate of divorce really was just a legal document stating that this woman was lawfully divorced and she could remarry. Again, in this culture, if a woman was on her own, not able to remarry, she would be financially hit. She, she would have no way to take care of herself and her children. God is making a concession of protection because God loves the least of these. Divorce is really not a pointer to divine approval, but more so points to human sinfulness. The reason why this even comes up is because of our sinfulness. The reason this even comes up is because of our selfishness. The reason this even comes up is, is because of our bitterness and uh, our baggage and our difficulties and, uh, and, and because we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's because in our hearts is that innate desire that I want to be God and I want whoever's in my sphere of influence to worship me. If, if, if you don't clean the kitchen like I want you to, I, 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 I'm mad. If you don't take out the trash like you need to, then I'm mad. If you ain't painting, if you ain't cooking, if you ain't grocery shopping, if you ain't working, if, if you ain't bringing in the bread like I think you should, then I'm mad at you. Why? Because I am the center of my own world. But God steps in and he gives this concession of protection in order to protect those who are on the margins. This is not the first time that God has to deal with us like this, is it? Just think back into Israel's uh, past. Even when Samuel is, 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 is talking to Israel, and they say, I, we want a king like everybody else. We want to be just like them down the street. We, we, we want to be just like every nation, and we want a king. And Samuel's like, no, you don't want a king. You really don't want a king. Like, yeah, we want a king. Like, no, you don't want that. He, he's going to take your women. He's going to take your money. And he's going to do whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah, we want a king. Like, what? He's going to take everything from you, but you still want it? Makes no sense. But what does God do? He installs the king. He knows what he's doing, though. But, beloved, the ultimate concession of protection was when God removed Adam and Eve from the garden. And kept them from going back because the text says if they had went back in their sin and partake of the tree uh, that, uh, of, of life, if they was to partake from the tree of life, and they would have been stuck in sin for all eternity with no hope. So God says as a concession, I'm going to have to put you out the garden. But I'm going to make a way because the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And, and I'm going to show up, and I'm, I'm going to make a way still. God, think, this, think about your own life. How many times has God made a concession of protection for your own life? Oh, you know how the saying goes, God protects children and fools. Sometimes we, we act so foolish. Sometimes we do such dumb things things, but God still steps in, and he still takes our brokenness, our mess, our dirt, our weakness, and he turns it into something glorious, like what, God, me, you chose to do this with me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I did? Don't you know where I was last night? But God steps in, he says, I know, baby, <laughs> you just acting foolish. But I still love you. And I'm going to take this situation which you meant for evil, which you meant for wickedness, and I can still turn it for good. God steps into our own lives so often and protects us from our sin. We ain't got to worry about ADT, keeping folks out of our house. We ain't got to worry about Vivint with the cameras and the, the panels, making sure that your home is on guard. Beloved, if we just tell the truth for a moment, we are our own worst enemies. The danger ain't outside the house. 
The danger up in our house. And we're the ones causing the issues of life. But God is so kind that he still keeps us from ourselves. In his mercy and in his grace. But here back in verse 31, this concession of protection is taken and it is perverted for their own purposes. For the religious folks' own purposes. Because what they do is they take this concession, and then when you look at Matthew, the 19th chapter, he says there, the Pharisees come up to Jesus, and they say, can a man divorce their wife for any reason? So instead of having a specific reason, now you can have any reason to divorce your wife. They take this concession. They pervert it for their own purposes so now they're divorcing their wives for any cause. According to rabbinic teaching, a man could divorce his wife because she burnt up the food. A man could divorce his wife if he found a woman who was fairer than her. And, and the list goes on and on of reasons why a man could divorce his wife. They were beginning to divorce their wives for any reason because of the selfishness within their own hearts. Beloved, understand, the lowering of God's standard in your life and in the life of others always leads to brokenness. It always leads to sin. It always leads to despair. A hard heart will pervert God's word for their own purposes. You know how folk like to use Scripture to make, make they side win the argument? And they begin to take the scriptures and twist it in order that they can get out of it what they wanted out of it. Beloved, we saw that, we see this even in the history of our nation, where, where good old Christians took the Bible and twisted it to, to make it seem like slavery was actually okay. If you have a sinful enough heart, if you have a hard enough heart, you can take the glories of Christ this, this very word that is life and begin to pervert it, to make it sound and do what you want it to do. Beloved, I just stopped by to say, be careful how you read Scripture. Be careful how you go about your hermeneutic and your theology. Be, be careful what you telling others how they should act and how they should do. Because if it ain't really lining up with Scripture, God says we're going to give an account for every word that we have said. And when we get it wrong, we not only lead ourselves into sin, we, we can lead our entire families into sin. But praise God for verse 32. Because here Jesus gives us the directions for marriage. He gives us the directions for marriage. In verse 32, Jesus says, But I say to everyone who divorce, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What Jesus does with these words right here, he, he immediately limits the scope of divorce. Instead of saying, y'all just be buck wild, y'all do whatever y'all want, Jesus says, no, you can't just keep doing everything you want to do. You can't keep just having it your way like you at Burger King. You can't make up the rules as you go along. Let me lift up the standard back to where it should be. And the standard is you cannot just get out of your marriage for any reason except for covenant unfaithfulness, sexual morality. This is the only reason. Jesus, he, he, he reiterates this same limitation over in chapter 19 except for the grounds of sexual immorality. Now, there's extreme cases, and, and when we hear Jesus say, except, the first thing we want to do is we say, well, what about God? Well, what about this? And what about this? But you know what? For most of us, those whatabouts have nothing to do with us and our situation, really. But if we just think of a normal situation where divorce has been put on the table, why is that? It's because somebody not getting their way. But somebody has a, has a different expectation than what's being realized. Because two people in their sinfulness can't lay down their pride in order for God to speak into that situation. I'm just talking normal situations. I'm not talking extremes. 
for the most part, it's these irreconcilable differences that people get divorced. And God is laying out for us, you don't have to worry about those extremes. I'll take care of the extremes if you just take care of these normal situations. So God, he, Jesus, he comes on the scene and he limits the scope of divorce so they can't just keep doing anything that they want to do. That should speak to our hearts that God has limits on our liberties. We, we may want to exercise our liberties. We may want to uh, dip and, and, and daddle and, and, and touch. And, and we may want to do these things, but uh, is what we're doing really honoring God? Is what I'm saying, is where I'm going, is how I'm acting, is it really honoring God? Or am I bringing glory to myself? But Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, not only does he limit the scope of divorce, Jesus explains the lasting consequences of divorce. He says, when someone divorces their wife for any reason other than sexual morality, he makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries her commits adultery. So what Jesus is saying, in their disobedience, in their hard hearts, they are actually causing not only a sinful situation in their house, they're causing sin to follow everybody else. Everybody around the situation begins to fall into sin. What God is saying, when we begin to do things our way, we have a, a way of affecting everybody else. We can call those those concentric circles of sin. You have that, that, small, that small circle when you drop a pebble in the water. You know how you just you drop that pebble in the water, you skip on rocks, and you drop it in, and all of a sudden it, it hits the water, then it begins to spread out. See, you think your sin is only your business. You think your dirt is only going to uh, uh, stay with you. But what God wants us to know through his word, through this text, it may not be divorce, but whatever sin that we, we plan with and we having fun with and we think it's just us, God is saying, be careful because your sin will find you out. And Satan will use that sin, he will use that crack in order to separate you from God. And, and, and you, you are dropping that little, that little drop and all of a sudden, because you've been watching pornography, you expect your wife to be this and that. All of a sudden, because you, you've been on Facebook having conversations with old boy from, from high school and, and, and you're really enjoying it. All of a sudden, you make a decision that's going to impact your entire family. It's going to impact your, your wife. It's going to impact your husband. It's going to impact your sons and your daughters. It's going to impact your, your cousins and your aunties. And, you know, every time I'm, I'm at the house and I'm picking with red, and I just be talking junk, I, be, I, I say stuff like, I'm going to get bread and I ain't coming back. And she said, yeah, right. And you know what she says after that? She says, yeah, right, because I'm going to tell your daddy. <laughs> See, but beloved, in that situation, if I go out and sin, it's not just affecting my house in Kentucky. It's going to start affecting the houses in Michigan. It's going to start affecting the houses in Georgia. It's going to start affecting the houses all around because now it's going to get out. And, and you think your sin is so secret. But God is saying, put it down because it's not going to stop at your house. Sin, is, sin never says I'm full. Sin never says I've had enough. Sin always says, give me more. Who else can I destroy? Who else can I take down? Who else can I cause to stumble and fall? Sin will always look for more. And when we are in our sin, it's going to cause us to impact others around us. But Jesus has a completely different approach to divorce. Because Jesus, he doesn't start at divorce. Jesus starts with marriage. Turn with me back to Matthew, the 19th chapter. 
Matthew, the 19th chapter. Look here with me in verses 3 through 6. So the Pharisees come up to Jesus, and they say, and the Pharisees came up to him and, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered. Jesus doesn't answer that question. He says, you asking the wrong question, son. Let me give you the right answer to the question you need to be asking. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So they came at Jesus with a question about divorce, and then Jesus schools them on what marriage is supposed to be. See, that's how we get it. We come at marriage, and we try to figure out, how can I get out? But Jesus come at your marriages, how do you stay in? What God wants us to know is that what God has put together, you ain't got no right to usurp. What God has placed together, you just need to submit your life to him and allow him to live through you in order for this relationship to be what it's supposed to be, a reflection of Jesus and his bride. Where's your starting point with God? Do you come to God trying to figure out how much you can get away with? Or do you come to God trying to figure out how can you be obedient to what he has said? Stop looking for the the cracks. Stop looking for the loopholes. And look to God's word and obey it. But even as we walk through this, we know that divorce and remarriage has, has touched all of our lives in some way. See, but praise God, he doesn't just leave us there. And and in studying this text, what the questions that God began to raise and and to show me that needed to be answered was that, so, so, so how should we deal with the devastating effects of divorce? What should those who have been wrongfully divorced and remarried do now? Well, beloved, I'll let you know every situation is different, and there's details and nuances, but in general, when we find ourselves in this situation, there's there's a couple things that we need to do. The first thing that we need to do is understand how God feels about sin, and we need to confess our sin to God. No matter who you wronged or who wronged you, we need to go before God and confess our sin. This is Psalm 51 and 4 where David says, against you God, uh, against you and you only have I sinned, God. What David is saying is, I recognize that my sin, first and foremost, is a sin against your authority. It's against your holiness, and it's against your standards. So we, so we go before God and we confess our sins. Now, beloved, the reality is consequences may come. If, if I was an alcoholic all of my life, and, 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 and Jesus rescued me from that. Praise God, I'm delivered. But my body has taken some damage. And, and my liver may fail. That, that, that's a consequence. But, but I got a home in glory, but, but I got a consequence. So, so what, what, what God wants us to understand is you confess your sin. There, there still may be consequences, but he says, I got grace for that. I got grace for that. But we confess our sin. But then secondly, it seemed like we wouldn't have to say it, but we got to say it. Turn from your sin. Don't just say, I'm sorry, God. Actually turn from how you are living. Turn from the attitude. Turn from the anger. Turn from the selfishness. Turn from the bitterness. Turn from the the self-glorification. And allow God to begin to work with you and through you. But then we want to continue in faithfulness now. Whatever your situation is right now, now that you've confessed your sin, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And Jesus says, now you be faithful where you at. This is, this, this is, 
This is what Jesus did to the, the lady in John 8. When they brought her because of his sin. And he says, now, is there anyone who, who accuses you? Now go and sin no more. Beloved, Jesus says go and sin no more when it comes to our marriage relationships. But beloved, two practical things I just think we really need. Before you get married, talk to somebody. Before you get married. You need to be talking to your pastor. You need to be talking to godly people in the church. You, you need to be talking to people who've been there, done that. Don't just run off because you all Google-eyed over this boy because he got a six-pack. You all Google-eyed over this girl because she got pretty legs, and y'all just run off and get married. If, 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 if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to come in the midst of the family first. You can't, beloved, I'm going to tell you right now, don't run off and get married without introducing whoever this is to the family. If you can't introduce your significant other to the family, if you embarrassed, then maybe you don't need to get married. But then secondly, before you get divorced, talk to somebody. Before you make that decision in the heat of the moment, call somebody. Now, don't call. You, you, know, who, you know who you can call and get the answer you want. Don't front. You, you, you got your set of friends that they're going to they gonna roll the ride or die. It don't matter what I do. They there. Oh, we about to fight. I am bet we there. What? We about to rob somebody? Oh, bet. I'm there. And like, we got some friends who just going to do it because they are friends. And they roll like that. Beloved, talk to your godly friends. I'm, I'm talking about those people that when you come into church, you really don't want to talk to them because they're going to ask you how you've been living this week and and you know you've been in sin, and, and so you see them on this side of the door, or they go to that bathroom, so y'all go to this bathroom. You, I mean, you know who I'm talking about. Those are the people you need to talk to because they're going to keep it real. And they're not going to give you their opinion. They're going to give you God's opinion. Beloved, ultimately, broken relationships can only be restored by forgiveness. Forgiveness from God and forgiveness by you. See, but here's our hope. Because you may be here this morning and, and you need forgiveness for restoration. That means that you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've done the, the whole marriage thing wrong. And, and you never have agreed with God about how he feels about it, and you're just reaping the circumstances of that. You, you may need to say, Lord, I, I, I'm sorry for living how I wanted to live. But, Lord, you, you made me a promise. And you said that if I confess my sins, that, that you are faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all iniquity. And, Father, I, I just stand on your promise. And, Father, I ask, Psalm 5110, that you will create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And, Lord, that you would, Psalm 139, 23, and 24, that you would, uh, uh, that you would show me my sin. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked ways within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I'm sorry, but help me by faith and by your grace to follow Christ. You need restoration. But beloved, you may be here today and, and, and you need forgiveness for reconciliation. There's never been a moment in your life where you've trusted in Jesus for salvation. There's never been a moment where you've actually humbled yourself and you said, God, you know more than I do. 
and you actually have more authority than I do. And, and there's never been a moment in your life where you've looked upon the Lamb of God and you said, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus, would you please save me and be my master? You need reconciliation. And beloved, like 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, we, we stand right here, therefore, as ambassadors for Christ, and we, it, this is God making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God before it's eternally too late. But our final hope, our final hope is the fact that Jesus, he, he not only raises God's standards, but Jesus raises sinners from the grave. Our hope is the fact that Jesus not only raises God's word up in our lives, but Jesus, he raises the, the broken fools who've been in their mess and sin. He, he raises us not just to halfway make it through this life, limping through this life. He says, I have come that they may have life, not regular life, not ordinary life, not some life. He says, but life more abundantly. God wants to bless his people with life by grace through faith. Beloved, look to Jesus today for help and for your hope. Your direction on divorce should be determined by your devotion to God. There is a way that seems right to a man. But his end is the way to death. But Jesus is coming by today, and he is saying to all of us, just look and live. Father, thank you for your word, for how you challenge us, but how you bestow compassion and grace upon us. That though we have failed, you have risen. Though we have fallen, you already got up. And we're so grateful that we serve a risen Savior who is able to deal with our infirmities, able to deal with our brokenness, able to deal with every situation and circumstance because you have already declared and decreed what is impossible with man is not impossible with God. So, Father, I ask that you would clean us up from the inside out, that we will leave this place making much of Christ Jesus, and we would let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. Amen.